Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you are new, I would love to meet you, so please, please introduce yourself to me after uh, we're done here. I'd love to to talk with you. Um, And uh, to bring you up to speed, we are in a series uh, throughout the summer uh, looking at the letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And um, I've been encouraged just reading and rereading uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And um, I, I hope that, that you are encouraged too. And I want, I want to start with this. And that is, uh, over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk to all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life about spirituality. And It is incredibly common, probably one of the most common answers, uh, for me to hear people say things like, you know what, I'm I'm not very religious at all, but I am very interested in spirituality. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds pretty familiar, right? And each one of them, it's different from person to person, kind of has their own idea of how they are trying to uh, connect with, with God or to experience God. And I notice a complete and total different answer, especially among church people, and they talk about all of their good religious things that they do or should be doing and aren't, and so often in the conversation I pick up on this emptiness, whether things are going really well or or not. They're not experiencing God like they had hoped or or you dig a little deeper, and if they're honest with themselves and honest with you, you find out they're feeling crushed. It is absolutely important for us to understand who God is, but I want to convince you this morning that it is also important to know how to experience God. And to to address this, first, we we have to identify two of the most rampant approaches to spirituality. First of all, there is this self-righteous religious spirituality. And second of all, there's a self-righteous non-religious, self-righteous non-religious spirituality. Now, when it comes to the self-righteous religious approach to spirituality, it, it basically says, sin has separated us from God. Therefore, We are bad, and God is mad, and to connect with God, we must make things right with God by turning from bad deeds and start doing good deeds. This is an incredibly popular message. This message is accepted and promoted and preached in loads of churches, and it's presented either in a positive self-help sermon or a hellfire and brimstone sermon. But I am telling you, it is the same message. It just gets preached in different ways, with different attitudes and different tones. But it is the same message, and it is not the good news of Jesus. It totally misses even even the basics of the Christian faith in life. And what it does is it either leads people to live lives in kind of perpetual denial of reality, or it totally crushes them. Countless people, 
Countless people have adopted this false message, and therefore, therefore, in response to that, countless people have rightly rejected that message, thinking that they have rejected Christianity. This morning's scripture addresses this, this destructive counterfeit, is what it is. It destroys people. And then, you know, that's, that's the self-righteous religious approach. The, the, the self-righteous non-religious approach to spirituality basically says, if there even is a God, I'm, I'm sure he's not mad. At, we're not that bad. We're actually pretty good. I mean, how could a good God not love us? And you come to the conclusion that we just need to realize that we're all one in this higher power, whatever he or she or it is, right? The Bible says very clearly that both of those approaches are dead wrong. Dead wrong. There is a third way that the Bible is constantly presenting and, and it just gets missed all of the time. There is a gospel approach to spirituality and the gospel says that we absolutely cannot make things right with God or keep things right with God, turning from bad deeds to good deeds because the truth is we are far, far more sinful than the self-righteous religious people ever dared to imagine. But through Christ, we are far more right, we are far more uh, connected, we are far more loved by God than the self-righteous, irreligious people ever dared to dream. In our text, Paul is talking about gospel spirituality, true spirituality. And in verse 10, he says this, he says, I want to know Christ. And when he says that I want to know Christ, he's not talking about uh, just knowing about Christ. He's talking about knowing Jesus personally. He's talking about knowing Jesus relationally. He's talking about knowing Jesus experientially. He's talking about true spirituality. And right here, he confronts the false self-righteous religious approach. Now, in other writings, he does confront the self-righteous, irreligious approach. But right here, it's like Paul gets so aggressive, it's almost like he punches self-righteous religion right in the face because it's destructive. And he wants us to know how destructive it is. And then he presents to us, he shows us with crystal clarity the life-giving gospel way to true spirituality. How can we know God personally? How can we experience being connected with him as opposed to just going through the motions? Paul says it involves three things. And this first note, if, if this first point, if you're taking notes with a handout in, in uh, the bulletin, this is my longest point. We're going to camp out uh, here for a minute, and when by the time I'm done with the first point, you might think we're going to be here for an hour and a half. Don't worry, we're not, okay? But we need to camp out on this one. The first one is resist religious attitudes. Resist religious attitudes. Paul begins by calling us to joy, right? The, the joy, the pure joy of knowing God. 
And he sounds upbeat and positive when he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Throughout, I mean, when you read throughout the book of Philippians, what you soon discover is that joy is a sign of true spirituality, a, a, a vital experience and connection with God. And, and Paul convinces us, he works hard to convince us that true joy does not depend on your circumstances. We've been, he kind of hammers this over and over and over again. And I don't know what it is that you're going through right now, but I'm telling you, this applies and this is possible, and Paul shows us how. Paul, even while he's writing this letter of joy, he is in a dark, damp dungeon on death row, but he is absolutely filled with joy. It's, it, it, this joy is overflowing. Why? Because he's vitally connected with God. And he calls us, he calls you and me to the same indestructible joy that he has, a joy that is not dependent on your circumstances, whatever they may be. It is a joy that is a result of true spirituality. And then Paul seems to kind of quickly stop being, he kind of stops being upbeat and he adds like this really strong, sobering warning that just kind of grabs us by the shirt. He says, watch out for people who will try to rob you of your joy. And who is he talking about? He is talking about self-righteous religious people that teach a self-righteous religious attitude. That faith in Christ is not enough. And you may have begun, you know, a, 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 with a, a loving relationship with Christ, but, but then some, some very convincing, self-righteous, religious people subtly shift your focus off of what God has done for you in Christ, and they shift it to what you better do or not do. And they begin to list a thousand and one different things. Let me ask you something. Does that shift build the joy of the Lord in your heart or crush it? If you're honest with yourself, it absolutely crushes it. The danger of this threat to uh, your spirituality and my spirituality cannot be overemphasized. This is not a minor point with Paul. I mean, you just look at the language that, that Paul uses to describe these teachers. He says, look out for the dogs. That's what he calls these teachers. Look, our family has a dog. We have a goofy blue-nosed pit. Our, he loves our family and tries to lick everybody to death. My wife and my kids love that dog, and I'm still working on it. I've got a little ways to go. But somehow, he's become like our third child, right? Like we can never get rid of him, ever. Now, most people think of dogs as man's best friend, right? But in Paul's day, dogs were disease-carrying scavengers that ran around in packs throughout the streets and were dangerous to anyone who got in their way. Our dog, he just tears up the carpet. 
Paul says, look out for these dogs. Look out for, another name for them, these evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Faith in Christ is not enough. You need to keep the law. Oh, and the dudes have to get circumcised if you want to be right with God. Their message of, of, of salvation was reduced to doing more and working harder and praying longer and removing human flesh. And Paul says, look out, they will rob you of your joy and fill your heart with guilt and doubt. And you'll never know if you've ever done enough. It is a constant, their message leads to a, just a constant state of shame and debt. Their message leaves you empty and never gives you any relief. See, Paul knows their message and he understands their message and how dangerous it is because much of his life he was one of those dogs. And so he uses himself as an example and he rattles off like seven things that he used to look to for his spirituality. And I'll just, I'll just mention four of them. And the first one he looked to was ritual. Rituals, could, that can be great. But listen to what Paul says. He says, if anyone th else thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. And what he's basically saying is, I used to look to my religious ritual for my spirituality. I viewed the ritual of circumcision as making me good with God. And people do similar things today. They look to even good rituals like baptism and church attendance and Bible study and prayer and tithing and singing and the Lord's Supper. They look to that to be right with God. I do these things, therefore, God must be happy with me. I must be good with God. Listen, these can be beautiful, good, wonderful rituals used to cultivate your relationship with God as they point you to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But when these rituals become the basis of your relationship with God, it totally undermines your experience of God and robs you of joy. Paul also used to look to doctrine. Doctrine's good, right? Paul goes on, as to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, I used to look to my right doctrine for my spirituality. Now, this is very important, okay? It is true that you cannot be truly spiritual without truth. But I have learned that you can have good truth, solid truth, without true spirituality. I see it time and time and time again. And the result is, the result of thinking, I've got good doctrine, God must be pleased with me. So instead of, of your life producing joy, your life produces spiritual pride and a critical spirit. If you find yourself having spiritual pride or a critical spirit, don't laugh it off. Like, uh, yeah, I'm a little critical, but what, and then just kind of smirk at it. That is a red flag that you have to pay attention to. Third, 
Paul used to look to his sincerity. Paul says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In other words, he says, I was so sincere in my beliefs. I was so sincere in my commitments as a religious leader that I strived to eliminate the threat of the church. And you know what? People do the same thing in different ways today. They take great pride in their commitment. They think their, their zeal, their sincerity kind of earns them good standing with God. And, and basically the attitude says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Right? And then the last one I'll mention is Paul used to look to his morality for his spirituality. Man, this one is so common. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, when Paul says that, he's not claiming to be sinless, all right? He's saying, as far as external obedience to the law goes, he was without blame. And many people today base their spirituality on external moral performance. I am keeping God's rules at least way better than these other people over there, so I must be right with God. Which, you know what that does? I've noticed that kind of attitude leads to this weird combination of pride and guilt. Now listen, there is, there is nothing wrong with these things like, you know, like doctrine and morality. These, these are good things in and of themselves. But the problem is when, they th- when we think that they connect us to God or keep us connected to God and make us right with him or continue to make us right with him. They don't. Not even a little bit. And when we think that they do, we lose true spirituality and our joy of the Lord. That's how you can tell, right? Uh, Paul, when he's addressing the same thing in his letter to the, to the Galatians, he says, what has happened to all your joy? If you have lost your joy or never really had a joy that was not dependent upon circumstances, then more than likely it's because we are approaching our relationship with God with a, a religious attitude and our joy has been destroyed by either guilt and despair or Spiritual pride and a critical spirit. Look, people don't usually see this in themselves on their, on their own. We are usually blind to it our, ourselves. We need community to help us see it in a gracious way. But also my encouragement to all of us is that we would ask God to show us our self-righteousness, show us our sin. And when he does, that is a beautiful act of grace because it leads us to Jesus. We have to pray for this or we we won't see it. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate that for us. So if God answers that prayer, and he does, Uh, and you see this religious attitude, how do you shake it? How do you shake it? That's our second point. Reevaluate your righteousness. Ask yourself this, what is of value to God in my life? Now, 
What was Paul's original answer? Paul's original answer was all of the above, all these things that he listed off, right? These seven accomplishments. Paul had experienced everything that self-righteous religion had to offer, and he excelled at it. I mean, he was the best. He scored a perfect 100 in Judaism. He was the most, and Judaism was the most developed of all of the religions. He was MVP and won all of the awards. He'd be on the cover of the religious times as the religious zealot of the millennium. Paul was on a crusade to cleanse the land of all Christians and to stamp out Christianity. And his next stop was Damascus. But on the way there, his approach to spirituality got flipped completely upside down. The Lord appeared to Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, his life was radically changed. I mean, he was, he was working so hard, harder than anybody else and better than anybody else at being right with God, trying to clothe himself in the proud robes of self-righteousness and self-effort and self-sufficiency. But in the blinding light of Christ's glory, it was like he was buck naked and he couldn't hide the fact that he was spiritually broke and bankrupt. He was exposed Even though he used to be proud of his privileges and performance, he now saw what a total failure he was in light of God's holiness. And he finds himself in the middle of a spiritual crisis. You see, what, what happens here, whether it's like the feel-good self-righteous religion or hellfire and brimstone blunt self-righteous religion, it blinds us to our sinfulness before a perfect God. It blinds us to our desperate need for the rightness that only God can provide. And Paul's first step toward true spirituality was by realizing that he had no righteousness of his own to present to God. He saw that his only hope, the only hope that he had was Jesus Christ alone. Check out verse, verse 7. He says, listen, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Okay, I have to deal with this word rubbish so we understand the forcefulness that Paul is using here. Okay? Paul wants to make sure we get the point, so he uses a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in the entire New Testament. It stands out, right? And he uses this word to describe how much his good deeds and religious activities were worth. And the word he uses is skubalon. 
Translators try to be tactful and, and use the word rubbish. Other translations get closer by saying dung or manure. Paul actually uses what was considered an offensive, vulgar word of his day. Not a polite word at all. Paul stacks all of his privileges and credentials into one big pile, and he says, it's not worth scuba. This is his reevaluation of his righteousness. And in light of his reevaluation, Paul moves us, thank God, to our third point, which is refocus your trust. Spirituality, connectedness, rightness with God is found only in one place and one place only, and that is in Christ. Listen to verse 8, but let's follow through to verse 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says there's two ways, two ways to try to be right with God. One way is my own righteousness. It depends on on my obedience to some standard, some law. The other is Christ's righteousness. So you can either try to get right with God and stay right with God based on your own righteousness or on Christ. And there is no other alternative. It's one or the other. You know, in reality, there is nothing that we can do to earn us favor with God. The Bible says, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All our best deeds, as good as they may seem on the surface, are are scubalon and shot through with sinful pride and selfish motivation. The point is there is only one person who is right with God and can connect with God spiritually. There's only one truly spiritual person. And Paul says, it is Christ and I am in with Christ. And I don't want God to even see one thread of my own righteousness. I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and nothing else. I mean, this was an impressive religious person saying this. And so, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So we have to ask, okay, Paul, how, how do I get in with Christ? And he tells, by refocusing our trust. Stop trusting in our own righteousness. It leads to pride and no joy. It leads to discouragement and no joy. And it robs God of his glory. Trust in Christ. That is what makes you right with God and keeps you right with God. And and, and this is the gospel. That your record filled with all of your sin 
has been credited to Jesus' record. And he took your record with all of your sin and your penalty on the cross. And his perfect record filled with his righteousness has been credited to you and your record. Okay. Um, Here's what that means. It means that when you wake up tomorrow morning and you begin your day before the Lord, in his eyes, you are already righteous because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What that means is there, is there is no penance that needs to be paid. The penance has already been paid on the cross. There is no favor for you to gain because you can't. That favor needed to be earned for you through Christ. And I'm telling you, it is an airtight, solid deal. There is nothing you can do throughout your day to improve that deal, and there is nothing you can do throughout your day to ruin that deal. That's what grace is all about. Christ paid it all and Christ lived it all. And his righteousness is given to us not by our works, but by the works of Jesus. So put your faith in him. And true spirituality means that that, that you are connected with God in Christ Jesus and that you can experience true spirituality. And then do you know what happens in your heart? What happens in your heart is you find joy in worshiping God. You find joy in obeying God. When you see the sin in your own life, you, 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 uh, you're broken by it and remorseful of it and you repent of it because you know that it dishonors God and you don't want to dishonor the God that was so gracious to you and worthy of, of, of bringing glory to his name. If you hear this grace stuff and you're like, oh, right on, I can do whatever I want to do, then you've totally missed the point. That is cheap grace. Grace leads us to want to live for God. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. If that desire is not there, James says that faith is dead. You don't really have faith in Jesus who lived for you and died for you and rose again from the dead to give you new life. So let's, as, as I close, let me, let me apply this to three groups of people. Some of you might be intrigued. You might be thinking, you know what, this is interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anything like this before. I'm not sure I understand it yet, but, and, and it's definitely different than what I thought Christianity was. I need to hear more of it. Good. Let me challenge you to follow through on that. Talk to a Christian friend. Uh, talk to you know, one, of the, one of the elders, one of us. Uh, uh, ask questions. Keep wrestling with it. Keep showing up here because we will never move beyond the gospel to something that's supposedly deeper. Maybe another group, some of you aren't intrigued. You're kind of upset. And you're thinking, ah, this is... This is lame. I mean, I don't understand what this preacher is saying at all. It doesn't make 
any sense. Christianity is just like all the other religions, right? It's all about living a life of love, keeping the rules. But the problem is, usually when we think that way, it's because we're locked into an existing lens of reality, either self-righteous religion or self-righteous non-religion, and we can't honestly consider another alternative. We think we understand Christianity, but we don't. And I want to challenge you to rethink Christianity. Ask God to show you the self-righteousness in your heart and then ask him to show you his grace in Jesus. Study the teaching of Christianity. And, and if any one of us can be any help at all, we're, we'll make ourselves available to you. And then the last group, you might, you, you might agree with everything that I've said. Maybe you even said, amen, in your head, of course, because that would be wrong to say it out loud, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's a good one. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? Yes, I, I believe that the only way to be right with God and to connect with God, the only way to really experience God is through faith in Jesus. And I've Jesus, but to be honest, I'm not really experiencing the joy of knowing Christ right now. I know it's supposed to be more, but it just seems like something's faded. So what's the problem? Well, I, when I feel that way, I, I, I usually, eventually, after a long time, come to the realization that self-righteous religion had creeped back into my heart. And, and, you know, when you first become a Christian, there might have been, like, this amazing joy and, you know, this amazing, you know, freedom. You were, like, on, on fire, right? You, you, I mean, you knew that God was present and he was with you and he was walking you through, like, the, the most difficult times of, of your life. And it was absolutely amazing. But gradually, eventually... Some convincing teachers told us that we needed to look at how we're doing in our Christian life and that it was somehow, whether directly or indirectly, convinced you that was the basis of your relationship with God and it robbed you of your joy. And we began to look at our growth in good deeds and putting off bad deeds. And, and, and we looked to that and say, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I must be good with God. He must be pleased with me because of, you know, everything that I'm doing. Or we think, man, I'm not doing well. God, God must be mad at me. And, and if we don't like that, then we try to figure out how we could blame someone else for our spiritual funk, like the church or a pastor or friends or, or our family. Either way, we look to our own righteousness and judgment as the basis of our spirituality, our rightness, our connection with God. God does want to transform our hearts and lives. God does get glorified as we grow in obedience. When we look to him as the life giver and constantly reject other sources that claim to give us life, God gets glorified in in all that as we look to Jesus for our righteousness. See, the solution, whatever it is, it, it's again, it, it's, it's to see all the different things that we look to in ourselves f- for righteousness is worthless, it is rubbish, it is scubalon, and 
we need to experience maybe in fresh and new ways the value of the cross here and now. The solution is represented in the cross. The solution is represented in, in the bread and the cup. Uh, not, not, not the ritual of communion, but as it is a reminder of what God has done in Christ Jesus to make us right with him so we could commune with him and one another, to connect us to him and to each other, to truly experience him and his family. And so together as brothers and sisters, as, as, as a family, I mean... When we go to the Lord's Supper, I'm telling you, as you reflect on what it means, joy is right there in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. And it's an opportunity to resist religious attitudes, reevaluate your life and heart in light of the cross, and then refocus your trust in the person and the work of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, I, I pray um, that, that this morning our hearts would be open to your truth. And God, I pray that, that you would uh, get our attention through your word as Paul is, takes this issue very seriously. Help us to take it seriously too. God, I I pray that we would see all the different ways that we look to our self-righteousness and therefore the ways we rob you of your glory and your message that Jesus is enough. And God, I pray that you would forgive us of, of having a view of cheap grace, thinking God's got to forgive me so I can do whatever I want. Help us to realize that is just as evil and just as destructive. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to our desperate need for you. The way Paul's eyes were opened in the blinding light of Christ and his holiness. That you would expose, graciously expose our sin knowing that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just because of the cross to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness because you've clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. God, make that real, more real to us this morning. And God, I pray if there's anybody here who's gotten bored with the good news and the good news has become old news, God, I pray, Lord, that you would show all of us when that happens to us, just show us of our desperate need for you and your unconditional love for your sacrificial love for us and wake us up as you direct us to the cross. God, I pray that if there's anybody here that has not put their faith in Jesus because they thought the message of Christianity was just some twisted moralistic religion, God, I pray, Lord, if this, is, if this good news is new news to them, that, that you would give them the faith to follow you, that you would give them the courage to follow you this morning, 
to look to you as their savior, to look to you as their ultimate leader in their life, their king. God, we pray this because we know that you are the one that works in the hearts and lives of people. And these are the kind of prayers you answer. So we're asking that you would answer this prayer this morning. Build our faith in Jesus. We pray this in your name.